0: volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, Please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Again, thanks for joining me today. Here's where we're going in this conversation today. I want to share some learnings. We've got about 15 key learnings that uh, we've been experiencing as we've all been working in this remote environment since early March. So we're going to share some of those learnings today. We're going to talk about some actionable steps that our clients are actually taking today. And hopefully, they will be some ideas that you can take and potentially use in your organization. Or they're not all the right answers. Maybe there's some ideas that come up today that you can take and uh, might spur some other thinking for you. We've organized those around our human workplace needs model. More to come on that. Number three, also, we're going to touch on the future and some things to keep an eye out for to build some awareness on where we might be going and how our thinking needs to continue to shift. And finally, I'll make a quick announcement about our last two Resilient Leader Master Class series. So again, welcome everybody and um, looking forward to the conversation. Well, look. There's uh, there's certainly been a lot going on in this world, which is really why we have been focused so much on resilience in this last quarter of 2020. And I remember on March 9th or March 10th, I was supposed to head down to um, work with about 65 leaders in Florida. These leaders were from. Minneapolis, and uh, at the last minute, the CEO decided to cancel trip and the trip and for good reason right we 've been through so much with this uh, pandemic this year that was uh, completely unexpected and For me, for the first time, um, I experienced empty shelves in stores and to see so much of the suffering that 's happened uh, with our economy and with people that have been so heavily impacted and this whole concept, this whole idea of social distancing that's come up it goes squarely against our most important human need of con- connection and i think so much of us so much of what we're missing in our world today is that connection because of the social distancing requirements and we are also dealing with so many unexpected things at home i know a lot of working parents including myself i've got a 7 year old and a 4 year old and my seven-year-old Eli started school this fo- this late summer, early fall with online uh, learning. Imagine teaching a first grader in an online forum, but then balancing that with, with work and other folks uh, have older parents or family members at home. There's a lot going on in the household as we're engaging and trying to uh, to thrive and survive in this environment today. And I know we're all anxiously awaiting what's been a very divisive, divisive, however you pronounce it, political environment, and uh, that's added to the global, I think, layer of stress that so many people are feeling today. And we've got people on the call today from all around the world, but here locally in Colorado, this is a a picture taken from Foothills Parkway just a couple weeks ago with some of the fires that we've experienced here in the Foothills as well as um, some of the fires that uh, are setting records in terms of acreage and damage. It's on top of everything else that's going on. There's, there's uh, just a tremendous level of stress that we're noticing. Then there are the COVID haircuts. Uh, this was Pictures from my first COVID haircut in March or April. I think I'm up to my fourth or fifth now. I have a lot less hair than I had before this whole thing started, uh, mostly because my wife is my barber. She's getting actually pretty good at it at this point. So, welcome everybody. And I know there's a lot going on. It's so many layers in this world. In your chat box, and this is certainly a unique moment as we're you know almost at a, a point in in the election where people where we're going to see some of the networks start to call the election. What emotions are you experiencing right now? In this moment, this week, this month, this year, what comes up for you? Please take a moment to type that into your chat box. We'd love to get a sense of where people are today and with this year. Sue, uh, Sue Ellen, exhausted, Dale, hopeful, Christy, stretched, but grateful, uh, anxious, eager to move through this. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really key part of resilience is the ability to move through it, but also the ability to move through it and emerge stronger, uh, tired, on edge, uh, hopeful and optimistic so many mixed reactions. And look, one person down here is excited about different aspects of my life and nervous about others. So there's a lot going on uh, in our world today. And if you haven't, maybe you, you know this, that the U.S. Census Bureau has been conducting ongoing surveys regarding the mental health of the nation. And some of their most recent data was published in early to mid-September, and we had a terrific podcast guest, Dr. David Palmeter. He's a professor of psychology and a practicing uh, clinician for over 30 years. He shared some data with us in a podcast that we released last week. Check it out if you haven't already. But some of the data that came out in mid-September is that 52% of our population has been feeling down, depressed, or hopeless at least several days a week. 21% of the population, more than half of the time, 50% of the time. It's enormous numbers here. And the frequency of people who are feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge, 63% of the population at least several days a week, and 30% of the population at least half the time. Now, why in the heck would I show you that data? And by the way, feel free to come off mute and and make a comment or feel free to tech, put it in your, t- in your chat box. Why would I show this data to you, a group of leaders, cross-industry leaders who are on this call right now uh, around the globe? What's important to know about this data? We're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, to acknowledge the stress levels from Paul. We're in it together. Someone else mentioned, yeah, all of those reasons, all of those reasons, emotions are fluid. They are. And some of you may have seen the work by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, and the grief cycle. There's a the familiar way of living that, that we had up until March 9th or 10th or whatever the specific date is for you has changed. And, and within that, there's a loss and it's it's normal to not feel normal this time. And and we all sort of go through this cycle of denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And there's other words in there that might describe any one of those phases. But there's an element here that I think is particularly challenging. When we lose somebody or other traumatic events that happen to us, oftentimes it's visible. You can sort of see it or feel it in a different way. But we're going through this grief, and in many ways, this virus, it's confusing because our primitive mind doesn't know what to do with it. We can't see it. And so it breaks our sense of safety. We felt that loss of safety and certainty. We'll talk a little bit about that today. And so I'm just I'm showing this data for the reasons that you put in your chat box. It's normal to feel Uncertain in these times. It's normal to maybe not feel normal. And um, yeah, Dale, really good point. It's time to be sensitive to others that are around us. And, and that's part of what's really critically important for us to know as leaders. Here's the great news. These are some words from various clients that I've worked with over the last several months. And you know, even we saw some of these words in the chat box just a moment ago. The great news is that I know with absolute certainty that it is ultimately leadership in every sector of our society, from small and large businesses to nonprofit to government, that will really help us get through this current state, this current pandemic, this crisis that we're going through today. And part of why we're we're having these series of masterclasses is so that we can help each other. I think there's so much that we can learn across industry, across business type, across government organizations, that we can bring back ideas and innovation back to our organizations. And so that's part of why I'm sharing the data that I'm sharing today, because largely this data is coming from our clients, and I hope that it spurs some ideas so that you and your organization can continue to move forward and bounce back and emerge from where we are today stronger and ready to take on what's next winter will end spring will emerge and appear and it will be leadership that gets us there so let's talk let's start getting into some of the learnings before i do that i want to share the source of where these ideas are coming from today so uh, i was working with a client getting prepared to do uh, some workshops with his client around the topic of resilience and, and change leadership and they were expressing some of the challenges that they were having leading in a virtual environment. And so I thought, you know, maybe maybe I'll just ping some of my clients and, and see how they're handling um, this remote environment and keeping employees engaged and committed and all these really important things. And so I, I reached out to about 20 different clients and heard back from 15 or 18 clients. And as those As the feedback started to come in, several people said to me, hey, Sal, would you be willing to share the data? So I reached back out to all the clients and and asked if they'd be willing to share some of the information. And they all graciously said yes. And so part of what I'm going to share today is responses from 20 different organizations. Uh, About 40% of those organizations are organizations with 7,000 and more employees, multi-billion dollar companies, about 50% of the responses came from businesses and government organizations that were between 500 and 1,000 employees, and 10%, maybe two or three responses from smaller organizations of 25 to 50 employees. I've also had the opportunity to spend over 500 hours in one-on-one coaching sessions with leaders, at all levels since March 10th. And so there's just some interesting general insights and patterns that we're noticing and even that we're noticing in 360 feedback data that's coming up. So I'll bring in some of those insights and data that we're seeing in both the 360 results and uh, in our coach metrics platform and I've also worked with over a thousand leaders myself and my team, probably ten x that since March. so we're we're learning a lot anecdotally and factually about what's happening in our world today. So as the data started coming in from these clients, I we had to figure out how to organize it because they were uh, there were a number of comments that were really helpful, verbatim comments. And so we decided that it fit really well within our human workplace needs model. And this is a model that we created, we use with executive teams and we use on culture change initiatives because we believe it embodies how we think leaders need to show up and how to create a culture that really speaks to the needs that people have in the workplace. And you know, as we're experiencing this, this time in history, it's a deeply human experience. And I think we have to lead with more humanity in order to move forward and to emerge stronger. So we organize the data across these six levels of our human workplace needs model connection with people, certainty as a result of safety, contributions being valued creating clarity of the what and how. Those are what we call the four core needs, the basic needs that everyone has in the workplace. When those needs are met, we can really start to focus on these upper two needs, the need for challenge and growth, and the need to make a bigger impact beyond yourself toward the community. So we broke the data down into these uh, categories. Let's jump in now and take a look at some of the learnings that we've had. And The first category in our model is the need for connection. I think everyone really knows what this is. At the deepest level, it's the need to belong. And it's in the workplace, it's the need to have fulfilling and meaningful relationships with your manager and with your colleagues. And in times of crisis, it's not uncommon for people to feel disconnected and isolated. And then you layer in the fact that in this particular crisis, most people or many people are working remotely. Here's the kicker. Connection is the single biggest predictor in longitudinal studies of physical and mental health. The second factor is a long distance second. So that's why we've got this idea of connection at the base of our model. Okay. So what are we learning uh, about working in the remote environment so far? Number one, the thing that we're learning that's come up recently is that the pace is relentless. And it's different than when, it's, when this started. It, when, when this crisis started, there was initial rush to respond. People were in survival mode, made a lot of sense. And, um, and then people, there was a sense of settling in. And we heard a lot about people, you know, people's commutes being stopped and having more time at home and connecting with family and a number of things like that. But it's changed. We've we've heard more about the overwhelm, about stress, about anxiety, and the word that's come up most recently has been this word relentless, which is really new that we're starting to hear across our clients. Learning number two, it's more difficult for new employees to build connection. Listen, common sense, right? For many of you who are working remotely, you had pre-existing relationships with team members And it made that transition into that remote workplace a lot easier. But now we're starting to onboard new team members as we restart hiring, sometimes even leaders. And there's an impact here. Uh, Part of what we're hearing with or seeing with some of the 360 data that's coming in is that people aren't experiencing like an expression of leadership from new leaders that are new employees to an organization. And so in places where we would normally want to see lower scores, we're seeing lower scores. But in places where we would want to see higher scores on a 360, we're seeing lower scores. And it's more about not having an expression, not understanding what a leader stands for or um, experiencing their leadership. So we're starting to see that. And the third re- learning, as at least as it relates to connection, is that hybrid environments can create rifts. And what I mean by hybrid environments, many of you work uh, either in government organizations or manufacturing facilities or biotech companies where there's a lab or a manufacturing floor or people in the field. And some team members are required to be on site while others are required required to work remotely and at home. And if we don't handle this with intention, we can start to create an unintentional rift between these these groups of of employees where people on site may not feel safe, either physically or psychologically. And people at home, they actually don't even want to be at home. They may want to be in the workplace. So those are a couple of key learnings. Now, how are our clients building connection? Here's some of the data that came in. Some of these things are common sense. So these are not necessarily answers for you, but what I hope they do is maybe trigger a little bit more uh, thinking or ideas that you can implement in your workplace. First of all, individually. and as simple as this sounds, some of the consistent data we heard was we just need leaders that will listen and empathize more with people. Dale, I think that you know to your point that you made in the chat box earlier, that speaks directly to this point. We're seeing leaders take more opportunity to check in more often. Uh, in many cases, without an agenda, picking up the phone, uh, seeing how people are doing, being really consistent with their one-on-ones. Uh, one of our client, one of our clients in in the HR function, created a template for leaders to use in their one-on-ones that you know just really considers some of uh, sort of these empathetic components as opposed to just project management updates and getting stuff done all the time. And, you know, sort of related to this, but not as, as related, really start to think about what you look like in the visual of a video conference. People's lighting is horrible, or they're looking down at the camera, or they're looking up at the camera. So really taking the time to set up your home office so that when people are on video with you, you can connect with them more intentionally. Here's some things that we're seeing um, with Teams. Meetings was a huge topic here. And there was a lot of conversation around over-scheduled meetings. So for for many of us, you know, the days of having those water cooler meetings or the chance collisions where you, you know, you're walking in between conference rooms, uh, that's and you bump into people, you're able to connect with people, that's different. It's, it's ended or at least temporarily ended. And so now we've got so much communication that's happening over instant messaging or Slack or pinging people or chatting with people. A couple of things some of our clients are doing with meetings. Number one, they're blocking time just to get a lunch. I mean, sometimes we're on six, seven, eight, nine, 10 hours of Zoom calls a day. So they're putting structures in place to block time Uh, They're putting structures in place like not having meetings before 10 a.m. on Monday morning so people can get settled and prioritize their work, or having one-on-ones with your team members while walking outside, or no meetings on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month. So people are starting to rethink their meetings because this is how we get work done, especially in a virtual environment. The second thing that we're seeing, I know a lot of you on this call are doing this, is is really thinking about informal gatherings to build social connections, so gatherings where there actually is not an agenda and it's really intended to just connect with people. We have a client, a technology client in Minneapolis, and the CEO of the company loves the Peloton bike and app. And so every Friday morning, religiously, he has gotten a group of people from this tech company to sign on to a live Peloton class, and they're doing a Peloton bike ride together. Uh, Another client uh, has created something they call Friday forums no agenda, just connecting with people. Other clients are streaming group yoga classes, meditation classes, mixology classes. So these are informal gatherings that we're seeing teams really come up with that are. Quite creative. At the organizational level, we're, we're seeing a lot of use of pulse surveys to assess the mental health and well-being of people. Uh, I both in the corporate world and nonprofit and government world. I just retired from the Mountain Rescue team at the end of 2019, and they're even doing uh, some pulse surveys to assess the mental health of those team members. One client reported creating an assistance fund. This was really interesting. So as people are wrestling with some unexpected expenses or economic difficulty, if a spouse or partner has lost their job, um, this company is actually helping out with some form of assistance fund. Here's a direct quote from the chief Uh, operating officer of a commercial real estate company that we've worked with. Uh, It's important now as ever before to listen to your employees' concerns and understand their personal dynamics. I think people are taking notes on how compassionate or at least attentive managers are in the midst of a crisis. So, you know, back to just some of the basics of being human. Uh, What we are learning in our research around resilience is that resilient people focus on what they can control. So there's a lot of uncontrollable factors right now, all of which we've already mentioned on this call. But there's also a number of factors that we can control. We can control what we focus on. It's easy to exaggerate or uh, distort the facts. It's also easy to avoid the current situation. Highly resilient people focus on what's actually happened. They focus on the facts. We can focus on what we believe and the meaning that we give to any event. We can actually control the meaning that we attach to any experience that we have, even if it is traumatic. We can control how we act. There are healthy ways and unhealthy ways of coping, and we can control what we learn. So this is something we're seeing in highly resilient people is they're making some very intentional choices as we go through this, uh, this period of time. All right, second up, which is um, certainty as a result of safety as it pertains to our human workplace needs model. Now, what are we talking about here? We're really talking about both physical safety and psychological safety. So, in some organizations, physical safety is important, organizations um, where people are in the field, where there's a manufacturing facility, or again, a lab of some sort. And um, I would argue now today, every organization, there's some element of physical safety with COVID that we all have to be careful of. What we focus on in our work is really more around psychological safety. And psychological safety is really about Um, creating an environment where people feel safe to take risk and be vulnerable with each other. Why is that important? Because that's what drives innovative ideas, creativity. We don't want people to be guarded. We want them to come to work and use their brains and share their insights and different ways of doing things. And if you look at some of the research around psychological safety, Amy Edmonton, Edmonton, sorry, at Harvard a lot of work she's done around this topic. Google has done a ton of research on psychological safety. In fact, for Google, it's their number one characteristic of high-performing teams. So this is really critical. Are you interested in getting personally aligned in the new year, in creating an intentional life at work and at home? then check out our ultimate goal setting guide. We created this guide years ago and have continued to update and improve this tool so that you can be the architect of a life on purpose and with intention. You can find a link to the ultimate goal setting guide in the podcast section of our website in this episode's session notes. So go check it out and start the year with intention. So what are we learning in this remote environment around safety? Number one, we're seeing more humanity come out. And here's what I mean by that. In some really interesting ways, we've all been invited into each other's work put, I'm sorry, into each other's homes, like we're, we're our home office is, and we we're getting a sense of where people are outside of work. And I think this has really lessened. The corporate veil, if you will, like the title and the corner office. We're we're getting to see people in a whole new light. I've I've had more conversations with CEOs, kids that have walked in on coaching sessions or seen cats and dogs and met other family members. I think there's something here that uh, is meaningful that I hope we can take forward beyond where we are today. We're noticing that issues are sticking around longer for longer periods of time they're not getting resolved as quickly as what how they might get resolved when people are on site together and we're also noticing that for new leaders that are coming into an organization from outside an organization it's a lot harder to create psychological safety it just takes a longer period of time to get to know people and we're seeing this trend even more on teams that are more engineering mindset focused, if you will. And I I don't want to stereotype here, but what I've noticed about people that tend to be more logic focused and objective and skeptical is that they tend to be trust earners, not necessarily trust givers, meaning you have to earn their trust before they give you their trust versus just giving it to, uh, to you automatically. So we're noticing it's taking longer for leaders outside an organization to create psychological safety. All right. So what are we noticing our clients? What are our clients doing around creating safety in this remote environment? Flexibility in our research was one of the most often used words, right? So given the the challenge and the distraction at home, at schools, caring for older people at home, some people live in apartments and don't have the space that others might have in a single family home. Flexibility in hours. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are coming up that we didn't traditionally have to think about, and this whole idea as a leader of being flexible to those situations is really critical. I think many leaders today are embracing the humanity of of our shared experience. I know last week I was running a, a Zoom call with um, we had 400 people on this session. It was pretty awesome to see 400 video faces on the large screen, but my four-year-old son walked in at the end of uh, at the, end of the workshop. And uh, six months ago, I would have been absolutely horrified, but it was just normal. And I picked him up and he got to meet 400 of my client friends. And it was just this awesome experience. But I think more and more people are starting to embrace the humanity of what we're all experiencing together. At the team level, we have to create safety in meetings. This is where we get a lot of our group work done. And so what does that mean? We have to give permission. If you're the senior leader on a team, give people permission to engage in dialogue and debate. Be really cognizant about the number of people that are in your meetings. Once you start getting above 10, Maybe twelve at the tops. So it's really hard to engage a, a full group of people. So some of our clients are thinking about the size of meetings and num- p- number of people on teams. Mind for conflict, meaning sometimes you just have to pull people into the conversation. Some teams are starting with gratitude, and this is I've, I've seen this before COVID as well. But starting with gratitude, or what's working, what's right because there's always something there's always something to find that's going wrong, but there's also things to find that are going right as well. I think we also have to create safety around COVID, meaning people aren't going to be willing to report that they've had contact with someone that has COVID or that they're not feeling well or that they probably shouldn't be coming into work if they don't feel safe telling their boss, telling their manager. And I think this is a higher concern where you've got hourly employees that are out in the field and, you know, critically dependent on getting those hours. in, so we have to create safety at multiple levels on teams. Organizationally, the idea of employee assistant programs uh, came up left and right, all size organizations. This was really critical providing people with the mental health resources that they need to work through a lot of the challenges. We're seeing organizations Use PTO as mandatory PTO, meaning they're requiring people to say, take a Friday off or take a few hours off here and there, just to give them some relief and a change of scenery. And we're also seeing um, some organizations allow people to make long-term decisions about their living location. So this is a trend that we're seeing, you know, just really across the board in different types of organizations families are often moving to other parts of the country where they've got a, su- a support structure in place, other family members to help them navigate this kids at home and work environment and other things that are getting in the way. had one client even report that he's encouraged his workers to rent a VRBO and, or an Airbnb and actually change scenery for several weeks and and uh, go work somewhere else. So that's, those are some of the things that we're seeing around certainty. Senior Vice President of Engineering at a mobile app company, this is a really interesting comment. And this is about understanding. And she says, what's going on in the world is new to many of us, a source of uncertainty and stress. In some cases, they are unable to deal with it, and need help, time away from work. My approach to these situations is to remove the uncertainty of their job as they take time. They have their job. What they need to regain is their health and their ability to work. I'd much rather keep an employee on staff and allow them to get better than lose them. So this is a tech environment where it's it's still very difficult to find strong technical engineering resources. Chief operating officer of the same mobile app company, we've ramped up our communication and support around mental health, reminding people that they have free access up to three mental health sessions for free if they need it and with no questions asked so they're they're really maintaining some confidentiality here and we're also reminding folks about insurance coverage which also covers mental health offerings all right let's talk about the third level up on our human workplace needs model and this is around contributions being valued and listen at the end of the day we all want to know that we matter we all want to know that we're adding value and we want to know that our voice has been heard this is a really core human need that we've experienced with leaders at all levels and all personality styles. Some of the key things that we're learning. Leaders need to engineer wins. We know this about change in general. Uh, We're in this thing for a long haul. This is not about a sprint. This is truly a marathon. We have to think very intentionally about creating wins for our people. Like imagine going to a football game and not being able to cheer until your favorite team crosses the, into the end zone. That would be really weird. But with as busy and relentless as this environment is, it's often easy to forget about cheering our people on. Valuing people has to go beyond just organizational benefits. So a lot of the responses and a lot of what we're seeing leaders do is really focus on the benefits side of of valuing people. And I think we also have to personalize it more. And we'll talk a bit about how to do that. We have to think, if we're not doing this already, start thinking non-traditionally about work hours. Uh, One leader I know is working shorter hours every day, but seven days a week because he has some childcare issues that he has to deal with. Another leader that I know is taking some of her one-on-ones with clients after, I'm sorry, not with clients, with with her employees, after her employees' kids go to bed at nine o'clock at night. So we're in this environment where the nine to five or the eight to five or whatever hours people work, I think we have to think non-traditionally about when people get work done. Here's how our clients are valuing contributions. Again, a lot of these are focused on benefits, but they're allowing for more alternative schedules, alternative schedules to accommodate needs. One of our clients instituted a four-day work week of the employees choosing. People are working from home or hybrid arrangements. Some people are taking leaves of absence. So, we're starting to see various work arrangements emerge. Uh, One organization instituted, Zillow, as a matter of fact, instituted um, a week of family leave that people can use to deal with challenges that they might be facing without eating into their PTO. We're seeing um, other organizations start to use services like Work-Life Partnership and Home Thrive Work-Life Partnership. I just did a quick search on that as a nonprofit benefit provider supporting mental health. And Home Thrive is a service that helps employees deal and care for older family members. So we're starting to see a a lot of those types of things emerging in the workplace Founder and CEO of an IT services company says, our people have always been encouraged to flex work around their personal lives, to maintain a stable balance based on their individual needs, always putting family and personal lives first and work second. Really interesting perspective, isn't it? The job gets done and productivity is off the charts. I'm going to talk about productivity in a moment. And uh, the senior director at an online real estate company says, Our company has a week of family leave that they created in response to COVID. It's paid leave for anyone that needs to take time off to address personal issues, daycare, elderly parents, et cetera. This does not require them to use PTO or sick leave, and it only involves manager approval to eliminate red tape. Really interesting. Part of what we need to watch for as leaders is a negativity bias, and this is an evolutionary function meaning it's easier for us, the consequences of ignoring positive information are typically less severe compared to the consequences of ignoring negative information. Negative information is threatening, right? So what do we do? We move toward a fight or flight response mechanism and we have to watch how we respond. Anytime we perceive a change or our environment is threat, There's potential for negativity bias. So getting back into recognition, we have to think about offering recognition at a very personal level. We tend to think about building blocks, but not forgetting those aha moments, not forgetting when people go above and beyond and and aligning your recognition to what people are actually contributing. If you give someone a $25 Starbucks card and they save the business a million dollars, you're probably going to piss them off, right? So we we have to think more intentionally about recognition and making sure that people know their contributions matter. All right, let's talk about the fourth level of our human workplace needs model, clarity of the what and the how. When we think about setting clear expectations, we think about two things. Number one, goals, roles, things like that. That's what we call clarity of the what. Do people have clear expectations around what results they need to produce. And then we also think in terms of clarity of the how, meaning do they have clear behavioral expectations and do they understand the values and principles that are really important to uh, be successful in their organization? So clarity of the what and the how. Some key learnings that we're seeing around clarity. Number one, people are productive in a virtual environment. That's the bottom line. We, we have consistently heard, and in some cases have heard, that people are more productive in a virtual environment. doesn't mean that they feel connected. That's not the case that we're seeing. But surprisingly, people are productive in this virtual world, which is really interesting. Leaders may be over-rotating on empathy, care, and listening, It's a little counterintuitive to every other message I've given you on this call today. But as we have spent so much time doing all the things that we've been talking about so far, at the end of the day, we still have organizations to run. We still have constituents and stakeholders to serve. We have businesses to lead. And if our organization isn't successful, we're not serving anybody. And so there's a balance here of being empathetic, caring and listening, and also making sure we're having the right conversations that drive the right level of performance. Number 12 is people appraise events based on their own needs. And there's a term in in, uh, psychology called cognitive appraisal theory. And this speaks directly to what I talked about earlier, meaning we, we give a meaning, we attach a meaning to every experience that we have. And it's actually, more often than not, it's the meaning that we attach that creates the emotion more so than it is the actual event itself. Okay, so what does that mean in the workplace? I, I think it means we're going to have to communicate more with people. The research that I saw prior to COVID was it took seven times of communicating something before employees really got it. Well, I think there's so much meaning that people are attaching to the events in our world today that are highly emotional and highly out of their control. I think it's going to take being more intentional in our communication efforts. And that's exactly what our clients are reporting as well. What's interesting is most of the data in this section around creating clarity came from our chief operating officer respondents, which I think is super interesting. Not, It's not that surprising to me as they often are, CEOs are often very execution-oriented. Clarity of the what, uh, the first response that came in was around communicating, over-communicating the plan, really thinking about that number seven and maybe doubling that. Number two is around sharing what you know and what you don't know, and also letting people know the time frame on when you're going to connect with them again next and give them an update. So they don't have to guess about that. Oftentimes we... You know, we don't have all the information as leaders, but we have to give people a path forward on when we're going to share the next set of information. And then finally, reassessing and balancing, rebalancing critical resources. Part of what we've seen with several of our clients is they've had to go through, uh, you know, the unfortunate process of a one-time layoff, but now they've returned to hiring, but they're hiring different parts of the organization. So as the business needs change, as the market changes, as our customers have different needs, oftentimes we do have to reassess and rebalance. Here's what one of the chief operating officers that we surveyed said, over the plan. This includes both overall company strategy, where overall communication, it's always good, but even triple down on this in this environment, but also the COVID plan. So make COVID scenario-based scenario planning updates regular part of ongoing communications, but also host special meetings on the topic as necessary. So over-communicate the plan. And when it comes to um, uh, clarity of the how, again, the behavioral expectations, this is really about um, setting, creating clarity on how we should be acting in a remote environment. In many cases, this was already clear because of either values or unspoken norms or maybe spoken norms in the workplace when we were on site. But now we've got this completely new environment. So some of the things that we see clients doing are creating new collaboration norms. They're using different software. Storm Z was one example that came up on brainstorming remotely. Uh, They're creating new policies and behavioral norms around onboarding around hiring remotely, right? The hiring process, you may hire somebody that you never meet or you might onboard a new team member that you haven't met ever in person, new guidelines and behavioral norms around safety, new guidelines and behavioral norms around calendaring meetings, new norms around project team structures. One of our clients is encouraging smaller project teams so that they can make communication easier, more intentional sharing of wins more intentional sharing of gratitude. Again, we can always find something that's wrong. There's also a lot of good things that are happening as well. And then new meeting norms around time of day, around conflict, around uh, boundaries that we might need to put in place. Uh, One of the COOs in our group said, I haven't shied away from any conversations, even if they need to be direct and unemotional. At times, I felt some in the team might have been taking liberties. In these cases, I've addressed the team as a whole and holding them accountable to one another. So we have to remember this isn't about lowering either your focus on results or lowering your focus on relationships, it's elevating both. I think great leaders focus on both results and relationships. One recommendation that we have is get really clear about your meeting rhythm. And part of what often happens on teams is we, Patrick Lencioni calls calls it meeting soup. We put uh, some strategy stuff and some tactical stuff and some information updates all into that weekly team meeting. And people struggle with uh, little or no resolution on, in, on issues or with context switching uh, or even clarity on what they're supposed to be thinking about in meetings. So instead, think about laddering your meetings. Uh, the daily stand-up meeting, we took this from the Agile or Lean methodology. These are literally 10-minute stand-up meetings, uh, quite literally standing up, where people are sharing some information, keeping each other informed, things like that. The tactical team meeting This is typically a weekly meeting, 60 to 90 minutes, focused on operational-related issues. Ad hoc meetings are typically Deeper dive into specific topics and then strategic review meetings that tend to be more focused on higher level initiatives or review of or organizational strategy. And so think about layering your meetings. So on the day that you have your weekly team meeting, replace your stand-up meeting or don't conduct your stand-up meeting. And the and the day that you have your strategic review meeting, don't have your weekly team meeting. So even though you might be adding more meetings, you probably would be spending less time in meetings. And if you start layering and laddering your meetings, you'll have a more productive use of your meetings. All right. Let's talk about these last two components of our human workplace needs model, challenge and growth, and then community impact. Challenge and growth, really straightforward. Listen, people are either growing or dying. And as leaders, we have to find ways to help people grow if we really want it to create a fulfilling and engaged work environment. And then community impact, this is about doing something beyond ourselves. How can we as a team, as an individual, as an organization, make a bigger impact on our world? And at the end of the day, people want to know that their life has purpose and meaning, and they're way more productive when they know that they're doing something that has impact. Here's a few things that we're learning. In crisis, we have to strike the balance between optimism and reality. Overly optimistic in crisis and people are going to think you're full of shit. Lack of optimism and no one's going to follow you. There's a, there's a strong correlation between resilient people and optimism, but especially in the earliest days of crisis, we do have to balance that and make sure that we're there's an element of realism. Learning number 14, 33% of your workforce will never come back to work. We'll see if that plays out. I mean, we're finding that... A lot of people are super happy at home, working autonomously, working independently, and super productive, and they want to keep it that way. Learning number 15, the relentless pace is reducing time for mentoring. We're seeing this in 360 feedback. I highlighted this because it's so critical. We have to be coaching our people so that they're making the changes they need to make Consciously and and, and subconsciously to to keep up with the pace of complexity in our workplace. And part of what we're seeing in 360 results is leaders are scoring lower in this dimension of mentoring and coaching their direct reports while simultaneously scoring scoring higher in results that pertain to their peers. Really interesting data point that we're starting to pick up on. Oh, yeah, and uh, Zoom fatigue is real if you haven't experienced it yourself. Okay, what are our clients doing to create challenge and and maybe impact with the community? Number one, they're finding opportunities to emerge from this crisis, a better version of ourselves. And I think we all have to be doing this. I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we emerge from this crisis more stressed, weaker, beat down, have not having taken care of ourselves. What are you doing to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually? Leaders are rallying their people around a common cause. You may not know what your long-term strategic plan is. Find a short-term rallying cry for your people to give them meaning and purpose. And share stories. Share stories about how your organization is impacting the world, our society, your customers. I was just on a, a workshop last week with an organization that uh, makes technology for financial and academic institutions. And the CEO talked about how their technology is having a significant impact on all of these institutions. We have to find a higher meaning and purpose. If your organization doesn't have it, then use your role as a platform to do well and do good. I was um, in a coaching call uh, recently with a leader who wants to be a professor. He works for a financial services company. And that's his dream. I said, well, what do you like about it? I like coaching people and I like serving people and I like helping teach people. Use your platform today and whatever organization you are to do the things that you've always wanted to do. Finally, get outside. I don't know about you. I'm going camping tonight. The weather's really nice. All right, so here's a SVP of Human Resources of Global Tech Company. Create hope for the future. Get clear in your vision. Bring purpose and passion to your work. Use this as an opportunity to merge better. Identify your gifts that this year may bring to all of us. There's a lot of things that are happening in our lives that may not have happened because of COVID that are good, actually. So let's try to find some sight into that. As we start to wrap up, I want to leave you with three quick points, a few things to watch for in the future. Number one, our experience in any unexpected event is influenced by three key factors, duration, intensity, and controllability. Is the duration of this pandemic longer or shorter than what you might have expected? Thumbs up. It's probably longer. Is it more intense or less intense than you might have expected? Way more intense. We thought this thing was going to be over in 30 days. How controllable is it? It's absolutely uncontrollable except for the things that you can do to help maybe prevent the spread of it. So keep an eye on this, especially when it pertains to people's mental health over the next three, six, nine months. Many of our clients are now saying we're not going back into the office until July of 2021. Point number two, COVID is only accelerating trends that existed before COVID. And so, There is no normal. We aren't going back to March 10th. We have to embrace this virtual world. We have to embrace the digital transformation that we're seeing in so many businesses that have changed almost overnight. They've done more to change their business in months than they had maybe in the previous five years. We have to embrace these changes because they were coming already. They're just happening sooner than we previously expected. Finally, the skills of the future are uniquely human, meaning. Research report after research report after research report. Even though we're becoming more of a technology-driven world, skills like adaptability and agility, skills like communication and empathy, collaboration and teamwork, skills like creativity and innovation, these are consistently showing up on the list of top 10 skills our people are going to need to be successful in the future. Why is that? Because... In many cases, our world, there, aren't, there is not a playbook. And when there isn't a playbook on how to move forward, we have to experiment, learn, and pivot quickly. It takes all of those skills to do that. In many cases, the, the challenges that we're trying to solve are way too complex for any individual to solve by themselves. We'll be working on more cross-functional teams, and we need to be connected and inclusive in our relationships. And finally, the plans that we laid out at the beginning of the year are either temporarily or permanently obsolete. We have to embrace looking at emergent strategies to supplement our traditional strategic planning process. All of these things only happen with communication, with empathy, with collaboration, with teamwork, with adaptability, with agility, with creativity, and with innovation. Folks, thank you for joining me today. Um, I wish we had more time for conversation around this. I hope you got uh, some good takeaways that you can apply in your team. We've got a resilience workshop coming up December 4th, another masterclass just like this. It's free, and I hope you can join us. Uh, On January 8th, as we kick off 2021, what we know is that resilient people have goals. So we're going to conduct a goal-setting workshop. We're bringing back some of the work we used to do. So I hope you'll join me for that. And check out our Future of Leadership blog and podcast. Great episode last week with Dr. David Palmeter. We've got one coming up with one of our executive coaches, Jan Jenkins, next week. There are a number of tools that we will continue to be uploading and making available for you and your team Thank you all for joining me. Please stay healthy and safe. And I look forward to connecting here in the near future. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.